0: We are in week two of our brand new Hustle and Hush. And this is pointing out that there are two things at war in our body. The hustle of our lives, The we need to set our mind on the things of the flesh. We need to pursue better and better and better things. Because this life is a grind, we need to hustle and go faster and faster and then there's the hush, of the spirit that comes upon us and says, follow me. Let this work be easy for you. Not easy work, but work that has meaning, that has life, that dwells through all things. And last week at church in the park, you missed a good one. There was almost 30 of us there. It was great. We had a great time. The weather was perfect. We talked about the first four verses of Romans 8, and we're going to talk about all the way through verse 11 today. And all we're doing is we're just slowing down and we're looking at one chapter of Romans. It's a very difficult book to read and to understand. The Greek is very dense in it. Paul had to say a lot of things in a very short amount of time because this is a letter that would have been delivered by a woman, actually, her name was Phoebe, who took it to the Roman church. And the churches in Rome. And so she needed to get through it all and move on to the next one. And it was passed around once she left. And so we want to read through in the next six weeks one chapter, which I believe is the most important chapter of Romans. And so I'm gonna read here what Paul says in verses five through 11. And it's really kind of a game changer in our lives and the lives of believers around us. And so he says this, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. This is why we're taking six weeks to read through one chapter of Romans. Because Paul says a whole lot, but he spins his wheels a lot too because there's a lot of going back in the he's and the you's and your life and the spirit. But in these first 11 verses, the, the four we read last week and um, the, the seven we're reading this week, then we are, we've read the word spirit 11 times already in these first 11 verses. And so it's important that we see the theme of all of what Paul's bringing this into. The first seven chapters of Romans were there so that Paul could therefore say, we live in the Spirit. Don't act like your old self because that's not who you are anymore. Who you are is alive in the Spirit. Now, we have um, you can see in the background, we've taken the idea of sailboats. That's our theme of, if Paul's theme is Spirit, ours is sailboats because we can't get a picture of the Spirit anymore. They don't allow it. So we put up a picture of sailboats. And the first thing that we talked about last week was imagine a sailor trying to move the boat by blowing into his sails. If he's sitting there in the back of the boat, huffing and puffing away, he's not going to get anywhere. That's not how we move a boat. And Paul is saying that your life in the flesh... Your old self was like you sitting in the back of the boat trying to blow that sail with your own wind. And Paul is inviting us into something new, that if you're positioned in the Spirit, that all you do is open that sail and let the wind take you where it will. The two ideas, the hustle of sitting in the back of the boat trying to blow that boat forward, that through my own works, through my own hands, through my own body, through my own strength, I will somehow get this boat to move. I will do it. I'm stubborn enough to think that this boat can move by my own power, by my own skill. Don't hand me that oar. I will do this. But the whisper of the Spirit comes. The hush comes. As that sail opens up and the power of the wind blows that boat. But now we need to think about where we're going. That once we're positioned in the spirit, once we have that under our sail, then we can start to think about, well, where exactly are we going? Because I can get in a boat and open the sail and just go but who knows where I'm going? I have no course, I have no direction, I have no way to get myself to where my destination is. I'm just sort of aimless. And this is what Christ talks about when he comes and says that my yoke is easy. He says your old way of work under the law, all of that, you were just forcing yourself to work. That was work for work's sake. But what I'm telling you is what I'm giving you I'm giving you work that has a purpose, that has an aim, that if you feel like you can just lay back in the boat and let the Spirit take you where it will. I'm not really a religious person, but I'm very spiritual. Wherever the Spirit guides me, that's where I will go. Well, the Spirit is guiding you. You just don't like where the Spirit is guiding you. Because what you want to do is just say, well, I'll just let the Spirit take over. I'll just let the Spirit do what it will. But there is a direction. There is a course. There is a will and a purpose in your life. And if we just decide that we can sit back and let the boat go where it will, then we're missing out on an important opportunity. We're missing out on what Christ has called us to do. And this is the very thing that Paul is wrestling with. Paul is wrestling with this internal struggle, and he goes into great detail about it in chapter 7. And in fact, in verse 17, he says, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. In fact, he says it twice. And he says this thing that's inside of me. And Paul breaks down the fact that it's not just these moral failings. It's not just that we forgot to tithe or we used a swear word that we weren't supposed to use or we lied to someone or we stole something or we held something back from someone. These are not the moral failings that Paul's talking about. He's saying that there's something else that causes me to do those things. The things that I hate, I actually end up doing because sin is pervasive inside my body and inside my heart and inside my spirit. And Paul says, this is the flesh. This is the old self. There are two words in Greek for the body, for the fleshly part of us. One is sarx, S-A-R-X, and one is soma, S-O-M-A. Now, Paul is contrasting between the spirit and the flesh of sarks, not the body itself, soma, but the flesh, the internal desires, the things that our animal instincts drive us toward. And Paul's not saying that our bodies are the problem. He's not saying that this temple in which we were given is the problem. Because if you remember back to Genesis, God looked at humanity. He looked at man and woman and he said, this is evil. I'm going to give you this body because it's an evil thing. Ew, it's so yucky and gross and disgusting. No, he said, this is good. This is my creation to put you into a body. If the body was bad, Jesus would not have come in the body to humanity. The body is not the problem. It's the flesh that lives underneath the body. He's not dissecting humans into two distinct parts either, as if our bodies were inherently evil. Something has happened to our bodies to drive us to these things, to desire the things that we don't want. Christ took on the likeness of flesh, of sarks, to condemn the sin of the flesh, of sarks, granting us life in our mortal bodies, soma. The flesh has come to take over the body, but the body itself can be redeemed. The body itself is inherently good. It's the thing that Jesus came in. It's the thing that God said, you know what? If I myself send my son to humanity, I think I'm going to look a lot like them. I think I'll go in a vessel that they're used to. Paul also says that it's beyond our capacity to decide between flesh and spirit. Beyond our capacity, we're not able to choose one over the other. In fact, given the choice, left to our own will, left to sail the oceans, we choose the flesh every time. We cannot choose the Spirit. God, in His grace, comes to dwell among us and says, Here is how we choose the Spirit. Here is how your life will work because you are dead. But through the resurrection of Christ, through that same spirit, you can live. I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, according to Paul's argument up to this point, sin is a power that resides in the world and in us. This power or force makes it impossible for us to follow God or the law. It brings estrangement. It brings a wandering in the desert, and the wilderness, across the oceans. But not only does it estrange us from God, it estranges us from others, from other people, and from God's creation. We have the inability to connect with one another. In our fallen human state, every relationship we touch is broken. Pornography rules the land because we don't understand connection. We don't understand what it means to love something or someone. And instead, we look into ourselves and we love ourselves in the image of ourselves more than we long for relationship, true relationship with one another. And instead, we search for something that has no meaning and is empty and is void Every relationship we touch is broken as humans, and it's not through our own work that we can help relationships, (laughs) because we look at relationships across the world, between countries, between man and the environment, between anything that we get involved with, and it's broken. And no matter how many peace treaties we sign, no matter how many trees we want to save, no matter this, no matter that, no matter what we try and do, relationships remain broken. We remain at arm's length with everyone in our lives because we cannot fix it. I will will do it. Don't hand me an oar. Don't put the motor in the water. I will do it. I will fix this. Only I can do it. And Paul says, you need to purge yourself of that old way of thinking. You need to purge yourself of the flesh because you cannot do this. It is not a matter of trying harder. It is not a matter of believing the right thing, of following the check marks in the Bible. You cannot do it. The law fails time and time and time again. Flesh could even be described as a fallen human condition. Our focus on self rather than on God. It is rebellion against God, idolatry or worship of things that are not God. And we can push ourselves to say, you know what, I'm not going to let that get in my way anymore. That's the last time I'm doing that. That's the last time I get angry. That's the last time I speak to that person. That's the last time I do that. Boy, oh boy, are you addicted to doing that, aren't you? Because you're just going to come back and come back and come back for more. Because we can't help ourselves. And I, I don't know about you guys but maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning, that I just keep failing to live up to the standards that the Bible has given on me, the standards that Christ has come into my life and said, I speak this into your life, follow the way. It's super easy to do. All you have to do is love me and love your neighbor. I can't do it. I can't do it. Because I have failed every single moment to purge myself of my old ways, of my old habits, of my old sin. Paul is so disgusted with himself. He does the things that he hates to do. And he can't stop doing it. Money, financial security, youth, health, work, good looks, busyness, technology. These are just a few of the things that we worship instead of God. But here's where it gets interesting because the word purge doesn't mean suppress. The word purge doesn't mean read a self-help book, go seek out a guru, learn your personality type, Purge means to rid your body of, not suppress. Completely let them go. Because this is the only way we can exchange them for a spirit-filled life. The Greek term is actually kenosis. And when Jesus came on the cross, he emptied himself. He emptied himself first to become human. And we become believers. We empty ourselves. We don't suppress it. We don't push it down to the bottom. We don't put it on the back burner to deal with it another day. We get rid of all of those things, the desires of the flesh, the things that have held us back. And so we're out on this boat. We're out on the sea, and things are getting choppy. We should not be out here alone. We really should not because we are not trained to do that. But on this trip, we have all of this luggage and it's overloading the boat. In fact, we're starting to slowly go down by the weight of this luggage. With each wave, the, bo- the, the boat rocks dangerously, threatening to sink. Water is coming in. This luggage, it represents our worldly desires, our possessions, our distractions, the things that are weighing us down. And if we wanna stay afloat, We just don't move it to another part of the boat. We don't get a little trailer behind the boat and haul it in there. We have to throw it overboard. We have to get it out of the boat if we want to stay afloat. We must purge our old self, lighten our load, and allow our boat, our life, to be guided by the Spirit, no longer threatened by the weight of worldly things. Just as a gardener prunes away dead branches and weeds in a garden to allow for new growth and flourishing plants, we must prune away our old self. I'm going to pull these weeds up from the garden and then I'm just going to set them right here in the garden. I'm going to keep them there. Might as well, right? Why would I want to get rid of weeds? Why would I want to throw them away? Someone might want to use that. I might need those weeds again someday. We trim and we prune and we completely destroy the things that have held us back. So you, this morning, you need to begin to identify the things in your life that may be of the flesh rather than of the spirit. The things in your boat that are holding you back, that threaten to capsize your life. It might be the things that are most precious to you. That's why you brought it on this trip, right? If I lose this thing, I lose my identity. I lose who I am. That can't be thrown away. I need that. So we open up more storage facilities, more storage centers, because the things of our old life can never fall completely away. Reflect on these things and ask God for the strength to purge them for your life, replacing them with a spirit-centered mindset because we can't do it alone. It may feel like it at times, but you need to take this to someone and say, you know what? I've been holding on to these for too long. Help me get rid of them. This, This blazer that I wore in 1991 It doesn't even fit me anymore. But I need you to take it away. I wore it to Ponderosa one time. It was so good looking on me. But when we position ourselves in the spirit, we need to remember that we are positioning with purpose. Because remember, I told you that boat is just going to be aimless out there. That when we accept Christ, when we live in the Spirit, we must live with purpose. We must see Christ and we must realize that we have purpose. But we can't start positioning ourselves with a purpose in the Spirit until we have purged the old self. In Galatians 5.25, Paul writes this, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Positioning ourselves with purpose means aligning our actions, thoughts, and desires to the will of God as revealed by His Spirit. Aligning ourselves to what He has already shown us. All His desires. Remember, God does not have a purpose for His people. He has a people for His purpose. He doesn't have a purpose for his church. He has a church for his purpose. And a lot of times we get really confused. Well, you know, I'm just sort of discerning what God wants for me in my life. Just waiting for the Spirit to show up and, and tell me what he wants me to do. Okay, you can continue doing that, but you will be as mindless and aimless as you were before you came to Christ because the Spirit has already revealed what the will is. We just don't like it. We just don't like to do those things. And God said, here's the things you need to do. And yet we fail to do those. It's not because we don't know. It's because we just don't care for it. It might cause me to step out of my comfort zone. It might cause me to get rid of a really snazzy blazer. It might cause me to do these things that would destroy relationships around me. Hmm. Imagine that. Living life in the spirit and thinking that it will ruin relationships. Imagine relationships that are so precious to you, to your body, to your flesh, that you think Christ will come in and erase them. To be positioned with purpose means to walk in step with the Spirit, discerning God's will for our lives and actively seeking to fulfill it. It's that active part that we fail to do. We're like, I'll be passive about this. I'll just wait for God to show up. And then, why didn't God answer me in that? I really wish he would have spoken into that moment. Seems like a missed opportunity for me to reach out and do some good. But, oh well, didn't hear from God, so I don't have to do it. There's an active role that we take in participating with the Spirit. We give our allegiance to and are thus formed by God or by what is not God. Whatever we pledge our lives to, that's what we will be transformed by. And all of a sudden you can start to see that the shape of this series, the shape of Romans 8, is about the Spirit, but it's about so much more It's about your identity. It's about who you claim to be and who the Spirit and God have claimed you to be and called you to be. And that if we sit and passively argue with ourselves about what God wants me to do and why hasn't He showed up, that's gone. Purpose is completely out the window. An architect wouldn't start building without a carefully drafted blueprint. They follow the plan, aligning every beam, every wall, every element of structure with the original design. And God has done that. He's given us a blueprint. He's given us the divine plans for our lives. And positioning with purpose means aligning every element of our lives, every action and every decision with God's divine blueprint. Not for our lives. No, we don't open the Bible and say, oh, here's the path that I should take now. God has shown, here's how good lives work. Here's how you can remain blessed in the spirit. Here's how we can love our neighbors better. Here's how we can love our relationships better. Here's how we can love our world better. Yeah, that seems like a lot of work though, doesn't it? It seems like something I really shouldn't be bothered to do because I'm in the spirit, I'm going to heaven, I've been saved, and all that other stuff, that we can leave to someone else. If Jesus wants me to do it, he'll come back and tell me himself. Hmm. This is hitting close to home. Positioning with purpose means aligning every single element, and we need to seek guidance from the Holy Spirit in every step of the way. Dedicate time each day to seek God's will through prayer and studying His Word. Because if you're an architect, if you're building something and you look at the blueprints once and you say, yep, I got it, I'm good. I don't need to look at that thing anymore. The building's not going to look great. I'm just going to tell you that that you need to constantly be in the Word, constantly in prayer, constantly be actively seeking the Spirit in everything that you do. I'm not asking, is this God's will, but saying, am I in line with what God has already done, with what God has already called His church and His people to do? As you understand more of God's purpose for your life, align your actions and thoughts and decisions to that purpose. And lastly, living in the Spirit leads us to pursuing life and peace. Romans 8, 6 reminds us to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And I think Paul got that wrong. I think what Paul meant to write was to set the mind on the Spirit is death. And to set the mind on the flesh, that's where we get life and peace. Wait. See, that's interesting because that's the way we read it. When we read a verse like that, we switch it around and we're like, yeah, I know that the Spirit is life and peace, but it's so much more fulfilling for me in my life to just pursue what I want. It's so much more fulfilling I feel like I have peace with myself, you know? I just don't need the Spirit interfering in anything. The Spirit thinks it's life and peace, but for me, actually, this is better. I can do these things all by myself. When we purge our old selves and position ourselves with a purpose in the Spirit, we embark on a journey that leads to eternal life and peace that surpasses understanding. And we look at some of our friends and we're like, why wouldn't you want life and peace? Why would you want to struggle after the things of the flesh? Why would you want to continue this hustle and hustle and hustle when hush has been promised to you? When the promise of life and peace is here. Now, this is not to say that our earthly journey will not will be free from trials and tribulations, but in the midst of them, we will have a peace that is rooted in our secure position in Christ. And this is the hope into which we live, that God who raised Christ from the dead will give life to us, body and spirit, through the power of the spirit dwelling in us. And Christ told his disciples, why would you fear someone that can only destroy the body? Why wouldn't you fear someone who can destroy body and spirit? And this is the offer, life and peace. And yet, we wake up every morning and we look at it and we say, hmm, this is a tough one. When that guy cuts us off on the freeway, we say, man, this is a tough one. I could pursue peace here, but this is a tough one really got to think about that one. And that guy makes us angry again and again and again. <clears throat> this is a tough one. I could pursue peace, but, man, it's tough. And so we wake up every morning and we think, wow, I'm a good person. And yet we've had these thoughts every day of our existence. 5,000 decisions a day. Which ones are we making them with peace in mind? Which one is drawing us closer to Christ? Which decision is driving us harder and harder and harder to our own downfall? And which one are we allowing the Spirit to come and breathe into those moments so that we can pursue life and peace? So we experience the challenges of life, but we need to remind ourselves that we are positioned in the Spirit. We lean on the promises of the Spirit and embrace the life and peace that comes from a Spirit-led existence. When we're out on the sea, the history of naval navigation dates back thousands and thousands of years. The Phoenicians were skilled maritime traders in around 1500 B.C., they use the North Star to guide all of their travels. And so we think, okay, well then the Spirit needs to be our North Star. But the problem with the North Star is that storms come in and fog comes in and we can't see the North Star anymore. Because we're clouded by the vision of the world, we're clouded by the things of this life. We lose sight of land and we've lost sight of the North Star. So during the Middle Ages, the magnetic compass was invented in China and it was adopted by European sailors and this greatly enhanced navigation, especially in poor conditions and when landmarks couldn't be seen. And then the astrolab came, a device that was developed by astronomers and adapted for maritime navigation to determine the latitude of a ship at sea, how far north or south was it. And for hundreds and hundreds of years after that, ships always could tell how far north and south they were, but there was a problem because there was also east and west. In the 15th and 17th century, there were significant improvements. The quadrant and the cross staff, they were measured, they were used for measuring the angle between the horizon and the stars and providing a very, very accurate latitude reading but longitude still was a problem. We could tell how north and south we were, but we couldn't tell how east and west we were. And the problem was accurately determined and solved in the 18th century by a man named John Harrison, a British carpenter and clockmaker. He developed the marine carometer, a highly accurate clock that would keep the time of reference location, usually Greenwich Mean Time, the meridian how far away were you from the meridian? Comparing this reference, time with local noon enabled sailors to calculate their longitude. And finally, they could understand exactly where they were on the face of the oceans. And now, of course, we have GPS. But when the Phoenicians first set out, they couldn't understand GPS. They couldn't understand that. We want to be positioned well, and we want to know where we're positioned at all times. The Spirit comes and guides us through means even better than GPS, by means that we're Phoenicians trying to find the North Star in a storm, and there's the Spirit saying, not a problem, we got this, we're going to do it together. We can't find land, we're going to find it. You know exactly where you are now. Positioning ourselves in the Spirit requires a conscious effort to purge the old self. Position ourselves with purpose and pursue life and peace. This is a transformative journey that promises a life filled with divine peace and ultimate reward of eternal life. We need to strive together to live by the Spirit and enjoy the abundance of God's blessings. Let me read to you what this man named Jesus taught when we were trying to discern the way, when we were trying to understand why our hearts continually seek after the flesh. In Matthew 13, he says this, then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The word of God is our good soil. Who's come to adapt our lives. Who's come to transform our lives. Who's come to purge all of that dusty Dried land where no seed can take form. So the question is this morning, are you actively preparing good soil for the word? Are you in a place, are you in a position with the spirit where you are not relying on your own works, where you're not relying on your own hands, but you've purged yourself of those things that have kept you from the spirit and you're saying, God, come to me. Come and dwell in my life and prepare this heart for good soil.